Hello, everyone. I'm Isaiah Sullivan, and I'm very excited to be sharing my podcast, St. Small Talk, with all you listeners. My guest today is a Minnesota Golden Gopher football player and five-time cancer survivor, also a very good friend of mine, Casey O'Brien, on this episode of St. Small Talk. I was thinking about like the million ways you and I are connected. And I was explaining to uh, uh, my roommate, he's like, who's on today? I go, oh, Casey O'Brien, you know, the, the University of Minnesota go for, uh, football player. And he goes, how do you know him? I go, well, you how know. Don't I know. <laughs> how, how don't I know him? <laughs> we went to grade school together. We went to high school together. My grandma was your fifth grade teacher. Your mom was my fourth grade teacher. Your mom grew up down the block from my dad. Um, we had cabins on the same lake growing up. Yeah. And, I, and and your cousin, who you're very close with, uh, has been in my grade since kindergarten. You know? We've had, yep. <laughs> did, I, did I miss anything? Um, my older brother and your older sister are in the same grade. There we grade. go. Okay, there's, there's the last one. Yeah. Seamus and Gwen are in the same grade. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so it seems kind of fitting that... You know, you're the first first Raider on the podcast, though, which is important. Pleasure yeah. to be the first. I'm sure I won't be the last. I mean, there's a lot of great people who've come out of that school, so oh, yeah. I'm sure I won't be the last. And then there are a lot of my relatives, which don't fall into that <laughs> category. Yeah. We never played football together, but you played nativity football, right? Yep. And you were the quarterback back then. Yep. And so I just remember sports. I mean, you played Capitals, Highland Capitals, too, hockey. Mm-hmm. What else did you play as a kid? I, from fourth grade on, played lacrosse. Uh, I grew up... Playing a little bit of baseball. We played midway baseball because we could go to the cabin on the weekends. And I, I kind of always felt left out in school because everybody played Highland baseball and they wore their little hats to school. And I always felt left out. People, St. Paul people understand the reference there. Oh, absolutely. Because I was uh, I it was too late when I started playing baseball. It was too late for the Hightower sign-up. So my first year I did midway. Yep. And we got those colored jerseys. Like I was the purple team. <laughs> and the Hightower kids were like the A's yeah. or the Phillies or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> they all got their sweet hats. But, exactly. Yeah. So I played played baseball up until fourth grade and then started playing lacrosse in fourth grade and played St. Paul lacrosse all the way through um, my freshman year of high school when I was diagnosed with cancer. So my main three sports were football, hockey, lacrosse. Okay. Okay. I guess I didn't know the lacrosse thing. Were you playing hockey up until that point as well? Yep. I was playing everything up until that point. And then after the that cancer diagnosis, I had my knee fully replaced. So ended up not being able to play any of the sports yeah. to begin with. Talked him into letting me play football, but um, picked up golf as well. Yeah, so. golf. That was so, a big one. Yeah, that's when, been fun too. When you were younger, I mean, your dad has been in the athletic field for a long time. He's been with the Gophers. It was with the Gophers for a while. St. Yep. Thomas as well. Yep. Now he's the head coach at STA. Yep, head okay. coach and athletic director at STA. Uh-huh. So sports was very much a part of your upbringing. Yeah, I was always around sports in some way or the other, especially with my grandpa coaching for 35 years oh, at, right. at Creighton. Yeah. So I grew up as a ball boy at Creighton, and I didn't really have – Goals of playing college football, to be honest. My goal is just to play varsity football at Creighton. That's just what I grew up. I grew up going to the Metrodome and watching them play in the state tournament. Yeah, so. I, think, I think you actually, I remember when you got to be the ball boy at the Metrodome, right? Yeah. For, uh-huh. the, for the state championship game. Yeah. I so. remember seeing pictures of that and like it was you and your cousin and everybody was jealous. They're like, why is he on the field? Like, that's not fair. The Viking Stadium. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where you really grow your love for the, for the game. And um, being around it as a young kid, it's just everything seems so big and so cool. So freshman year, mm-hmm. I was... I was an eighth grader. Obviously, it was predestined for me to go to Creighton just like it was predestined for you. Yep. And uh, you're you're at Creighton Durham Hall. And it, what's the story? You found you had pain in your left knee, right? Yep, exactly. So I was the quarterback for our freshman football team. And it was about halfway through the year. 
and I was I was dropping back to pass in practice, and I kind of felt this little this little twinge, this little pain in my left knee, and kept on getting worse and worse to the point where I was going to school on crutches, would crutch around school for the entire school day, would crutch out to the practice field, put the crutches on the <laughs> fence, go practice, and then grab the crutches and be on the crutches the rest of the night so that I could be off of it as much as I could and keep playing. Did this raise eyebrows for you or like for, I mean, the, the trainer Elise, who yeah. I, know, I know that was there, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, people were like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. And so it kept on getting worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even jog on it. It hurt so bad. And we were going to different knee specialists and different doctors and all these different people. And no one could really figure out what was wrong and, and why things weren't getting better. I took a day off of school. We went down to St. Paul Children's and we spent an entire day down there doing blood tests and all these different things like that, talking to different specialists. And the conclusion at the end of the day was that it was juvenile arthritis. And so they gave us like a strong painkiller, whatever they give you for that. And we actually went to Snuffy's that day <laughs> to celebrate that we had an answer. And we had to figure it out in that things were going to get back on track for me. We were going to get this painkiller going and I was going to be able to get back into hockey season because at this point football season was over and it was started December right. and, and hockey season was coming around. My dad was at practice the next day and he was talking with the, the, the U of M team doc and the team doc was like, you know, juvenile arthritis, that doesn't that doesn't sound right to me with the, the amount of pain that he's having. Bring him out to my place and we'll get him an MRI. Just I just want to make sure, just want to check all our boxes. So I go out there, that's on that Saturday, that following Saturday um, just, so had your ahead. dad not had that conversation with him, you wouldn't have gone out there. You, you, would, have, you would have had your answer as juvenile arthritis and gone about your day. We think that dude saved my life, 100%. Okay. Because of the, the, the rate this osteosarcoma spreads at, um, we think he saved my life. He sends us out there that Saturday, December 13th of 2014, I believe it was, and had that MRI done and it was like an hour and a half long and I was like you're supposed to lay still in those things and I was getting real frustrated like <laughs> like I couldn't sit still any longer the the doctor came in and met with my mom she was like hey like something's wrong I'm gonna send this to the nearest hospital and so they sent it to the nearest hospital and we went home and we didn't really think anything of it we no. thought I might have like had torn ACL or something like that and get a call that afternoon that it's a tumor and it's a tumor the size of a softball yeah, how does that work out? I mean, that's a huge sized tumor yeah. just hanging out and it's just encompassing everything around your knee. Yeah, it basically it pretty much covered my whole knee and it was like it had bumped out bumped the skin out and everything. Like it was it was a lump. So you were noticing like a big lump on your yeah, knee. You could see with, it for okay, sure. Okay. Uh-huh. Next morning, go in for a biopsy to make sure that it actually is what they think it is. And it came back and it was. So they were like, we need to immediately do a full body PET scan because the first place that this cancer spreads to is your lungs. And once it gets to your lungs, it's a bad deal, really do they, bad do deal. Do they explain how that happens? I mean, obviously you've been dealing with this for a while, so you might know. But. You know, I don't I don't know why it is that that's the first place it goes, but they say that once once it gets to your lungs, it's it's bad, bad deal. And yeah. it's, 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 there's like 50 cases or less in Minnesota a year. So it's, it's okay. pretty, it's yeah. a pretty rare type of cancer. It's a bone cancer. And, and this is, this is the cancer that Zach Zobiak had, right? Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. Stillwater Singer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew about sure, that, Marshall. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Clouds, so, right? Yeah. yeah. And the crazy part about it is literally the week that I was going through all of this stuff and getting my PET scan and figuring out if I had spread and everything, 
was all the news pieces about him passing away and the song coming out. Oh. And as a 13-year-old, I was yeah, watching it. Like, freaks like, you out. <laughs> I was like, this is the same thing I have. Like, I'm right. done for. Right. Yeah. And so I see all this. We go in and get a PET scan, and it's like the longest day of my life. I mean, they're it's it's like a two-hour scan. They do the, they shoot the dye in you, the contrast dye, and you lay in this this tube, and it basically it covers your whole body and does a, a full-body scan. And the scan comes back. And it's only in my knee. It hasn't spread anywhere else. And they were like, this is best possible thing that could have happened. Like, this is best case scenario. We got it localized to your knee and we're going to take care of it. And so my first question for the doctors was, okay, I don't really understand this, but how soon can I get back to playing hockey? (laughs) (laughs) And the doctor looked at me and said, right now, we're just trying to save your leg from being amputated. Oh, oh wow. that yeah. was a really real possibility. Yeah, and so that's that's when it got got real for me and knew that I had I had an uphill battle in front of me. I ended up getting a port put in that week and started chemotherapy on like December 22nd, like right before Christmas. Rough Christmas for the O'Briens that <laughs> year. But anyway, so I started chemotherapy and my treatment plan was I would be in for 5 days straight, hooked up with through an IV for 5 days straight. Uh-huh. Slept in the hospital for five days straight, and that was two weeks in a row, and they don't have one week off to recover and rest, and then I'd be back in for two weeks, oh my God. one week off, and did it for nine months, and it was grueling, absolutely grueling. Nine months of that mm-hmm. pattern. Yeah, so I think in that first stretch, I spent probably 50, 60 nights in the hospital, and the the only thing that really saved me throughout all of this was the fact that I was from St. Paul and had people visiting me every single uh-huh. day. Whether it was cousins, brother, sister, grandma and grandpa. My grandpa was there every single morning. Really? Mal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every single morning. And So that's that's a crazy thing to go put your body through, right? Oh, like 100%. you always hear about chemo and radiation being mm-hmm. like just some of the most painful things. As a 13-year-old, it's just completely foreign to you. You and, know, that was the interesting thing is it's not painful at all. That was my first question is like, as someone who gets diagnosed with cancer, the best thing you can do is go talk to someone who's been through it. So I got put put in touch with a kid who has who had been through it and been through chemo and everything. And my first question was, "Is like, can you feel it through the IV when it, like when it hits yeah. you? Can you feel it?" And he's like, "No, you won't feel anything." And really, the the impact that chemo has is more of like the the two or three days after is when it hits you, and it's just like you're sore, sick to your stomach, loss of appetite, and stuff like that. But the thing that I was really concerned about is like, is it going to sting? Is it going to hurt? And yeah. It doesn't hurt in the in the moment. It's just more of like you feel real crappy the, the next couple of days. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, once you've been doing it for a while, it doesn't hurt in the moment, but you're looking at the pain that's going to come, not oh, the pain you or know, the exhaustion, like, and so you know it's coming. Yeah, in. you know it's coming. And there's honestly like, so when I was going through osteosarcoma for the first time, like the standard of care is three different types of chemo. Yeah. And there was one that's called cisplatin, and that's the one that's it's it's the rough one. And I mean, you're you're puking from that one. But oh, really? The other two are a little bit more mild, and you feel a little bit better. So we honestly we try to plan like the weekends that we'd go to the cabin or things that I do for fun when it wasn't the cisplatin week because I knew that I was gonna be I was gonna be hurting that. Gotcha. Week. I had gone through from December to March was the two weeks on one week off chemo plan. Yeah. And then I had an eight and a half hour knee surgery in March of my freshman year of high school where they fully replaced my left knee, put a metal rod into my femur and a metal rod into my tibia 
and then used a cadaver bone from a 19-year-old who had been in a car accident. Oh and because they had to take out so much bone to get clearance from the tumor, because the tumor was like eating away at the bone, and they wanted to make sure that they got it all out. And basically just said, well, we hope it all heals. We hope it all takes, you know, because sometimes those cadaver bones don't match and they don't grow together. And so you could have had, you, your body could have rejected the cadaver yep, bone. And they would have had to go back in. Oh so God. for like the first two, three months, they don't know. And ended up where it took and then was getting scans, x-rays on it and everything in April, May. Then began with chemotherapy once again in May, I would say, to finish out. So once they take the tumor out, they want to make sure they do a little extra chemo in case something's floating around that they knock it out. Okay. Right. So May, June, July, August, I had left and then finished in August and started my sophomore year of high school. Oh. So at this point, you're believed to be cancer-free. Yeah. When okay. they took that tumor out, they said it was 99% dead. They were like, this is a, a great response to chemo. This is all we could have asked for. When they tried to take it out, they said it was like breaking apart. It was so dead. It was so brittle. Okay. And so we were celebrating. We had through a big party and everything <laughs> like that. And six months later, in my lung scan, they found the first spot. Every three months, I get a scan of my lungs because they're only worried about it popping up in my lungs at this point. They do that three-month scan, and they see something there where they're like, hey, we're not sure what this is. We're not sure if it's just like some mucus or like a little something that your body's trying to absorb. We're going to look at it again in a month. So it was it was a little bit concerning, but we were like, okay, there's there hasn't been anything in my lungs ever. It's mm. no big deal. So they look at it again in a month, and there's tumors on both sides. Okay. So it has spread to both sides. And do they know the size of those tumors? They're they're pretty small. Okay. I mean, All right. I I would say they're probably a little bit smaller than a dime, maybe. Gotcha. And so they they found them on both sides, and they were like, "This is this is a problem because if it's in one side, they can kind of take care of it pretty easily with a surgery. But when it's in both sides, because the lung surgeries are are four or five hours, you uh -huh. can't do that on both sides, or else you wouldn't be able to breathe. You know. When they found that spot there. They're both spots there in that in that recurrence. They scheduled a surgery for the next day to try to take care of one side and then did that surgery and they put a port back in and started on chemo for the second time. That was in the spring of my sophomore year of high school. What was the chemo plan looking like this time? So that one, because I was in the second, so you have in a, in a, in a cancer diagnosis, you have your standard of care treatment. And once you go through that, it kind of branches off into like the secondary standard of care treatment plans. And because it was in both sides, they're like, we're going to take the most aggressive route that we can. Sure. So the chemo plan that I got put on was one week in for five straight days, two weeks off because this was a, a real strong chemo. Yeah. And so this is at this point, I was about in the summer of my sophomore year of high school. And I was like, you know what? This is the second time going through this thing. I've missed half my high school experience because I've been in the hospital and I haven't been able to go to school because of blood counts and everything like that. So I was like, I'm going to figure out a way to go play football. You know, that's the biggest thing that I miss in my life. And I want to figure out a way to go play football. Yeah, you have a great line in one of those ESPN bits. I mean, there's quite a few on you, but one of them <laughs> was like, this cancer is like spent a lot of time controlling my life. I'm going to take my life back. Absolutely. That was yeah. the mindset. It was like, you know, I'm tired of dealing with this thing. I want to go do what I want to do. I don't want to do what cancer wants to do. Amen. So I talked with my doctors and talked with my dad, who was a longtime football coach, and we kind of came up with the idea that there was two positions that I could play. And it was either 
a punter or a placeholder. And I couldn't couldn't kick a rock if you told me to, so I couldn't be a punter. And so the next best option was be a placeholder. Sure. And so a placeholder is the person who catches the, the ball from the snapper and puts it down for the kicker for an extra point. And it's supposed to be a flag if you rough the holder. There's a roughing the holder yeah. penalty, so they're not supposed to get hit. But if there's a bad snap, you know, you take that chance because if they're there's gonna, a bad snap, they, they, can, block the they, ball, yeah. Yeah, they can come hit you. My doctors weren't real, real thrilled about <laughs> they that. Thought. They didn't like the margin of error for no. the possibility of you actually especially, getting. <laughs> yeah, especially with a high school snapper, you know, because you could get a snap way over your head or something. With crazy a largely here. artificial left leg and yeah. having been on chemo time and time again. Yeah, my left knee is the one that's like kind of in the in the air, and my my right knee's on the ground when I'm in my holder stance. They said if someone runs into that left knee and falls out or something and it breaks, we have no idea what we're gonna do. Like, we don't know how we're going to repair it because it took them eight hours to put it together. And there's metal rods that could snap. And you got docs telling you that. Yeah. This. <laughs> yeah. They, they were like, do what you want, but we're not sure how we're going to fix this if something bad happens. There's no game plan for if this happens. No. I was like, it's, it's the risk I'm willing to take. That August, I was going into my junior year of high school. My cousin, Danny Ryan, was the quarterback. Sure. My grandpa was coaching in his last season coaching and was able to practice with the team when I wasn't in the hospital because I was doing this one week in the hospital, two weeks out. So you were still on chemo while you were were practicing with the team. Yep, still on chemo, still had a port in my chest. I had to get a a special shirt made with a pad over my port because the other thing was like if you get hit there, like if you get hit in the chest and that port gets like smashed into your chest, we're going to have to do surgery on that too. <laughs> so if I got like, hit, I had three or four surgeries coming. Yeah, right. you're like praying you're not getting hit. My mom could barely stand in the stadium, man. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Like I'm sure your dad's like all for the football aspect, but your mom, like Chrissy's not happy no, with that. No, she did not love the idea like we love the idea. Jeez. The so, women go, I can see your grandma too, and then you got Mal and your dad yeah, all for it. Yeah, yeah. Half my family didn't even want to come to the game because they didn't want to know if I was going to get hit something oh, bad was going to happen. I didn't know that as a student watching yeah, the games. Yeah. And Casey O'Brien was risking a lot every single time he went out there. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But so we played in our first game of the year – we played Lakeville South at home, and I played in that game, and we beat them 21-12. to 12. Um, I held all three extra points yeah. in a win with the port in my chest, with the replaced knee. Didn't get hit. Didn't get hit. Was bald, was down 30 pounds. Was Literally, it was like 120 pounds. Oh, yeah. And played in that game. The next morning, that Saturday morning, checked into the hospital for chemo. Oh, my God. That Saturday morning after the game, do that week of chemo. Missed that Friday night, obviously, because that Friday um, I had just literally just been released from the hospital. And so then I had two weeks off and my doctors were like, hey, you played in your football game. Like, that's awesome. (laughs) Like, we're glad for you, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, well, I'm going to keep playing. (laughs) They were like, like, what? No, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. That, That junior season, I would be in the hospital for a week. And then those two weeks that I was out of the hospital... I'd practice and play on those Friday nights. Okay. So I played in like five games that year and missed three of them due to chemo. <laughs> <laughs> probably, the, probably the best excuse for a, for, a, for a football game being missed is yeah. I was in the hospital treating my cancer with chemotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I was a scratch due to chemo. I held all year. Didn't have 
any missed snaps or bobbled snaps. And um, didn't I, get hit all year. I did actually get hit. It was against Stillwater at home. We had a kid who blocked the wrong way, and a kid had a free run. And instead of blocking or diving to block in front of the ball, he just dove into me. Oh yeah. But the lucky part about it was that he was coming face on to me and basically knocked me backwards in- instead of jumping onto my knee. Gotcha. And so, so to come from the other side, it would have been a different story. It would have story. been a problem, yeah. Okay. And so I just kind of tumbled backwards and I jumped up really quick because I didn't want my mom to think <laughs> like I was run, hurt. run out onto the field. Yeah, and they threw the flag for roughing the holder and everything, but I dodged a bullet on that yeah. one. You finish out the season, mm-hmm. and do you finish chemo alongside it, or does chemo go into the winter? It goes into uh, late December. So okay. I finished I finished with chemo for the second time in late December of my junior year, and then from there went all the way through the rest of my junior high school and all the way through my senior year of high school completely cancer-free. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you are able to finish it up. Were you playing football senior year as yep. well? Played, That's right. played every game of senior year. And then, did those have the same risk senior year that they did junior year? The same risk on the knee. Okay, but I was stronger physically because I was off of the chemo and was able to get a, a full summer of working out with the team and everything like that. And I didn't have the port in my chest anymore, so okay. that risk was gone, which was good. But still, the biggest risk is the knee, and that's that's always been there through to my, this to this day yeah, through okay. my full career. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you decide, you make the decision, you get into Carlson at the U of M, right? Yep. We're, uh, we're, we're classmates. Well, not anymore. Congratulations on graduating, by the way. Oh, Semester nice. early, Casey O'Brien. Yeah. Majored in finance? Yep, finance in three and a half. Pretty sweet. You got a Good job? job. Yeah. Where, where are you at? Uh, I'm going to work down at RBC with uh, Mr. Dixon and, and the Dixon-Lambert group. Mike Dixon, all right. He's, yeah. he's the man. The sure. I'm a big Mike Dixon fan. Um, so, but you decide to go to Carlson, major in finance. When did you decide that you wanted to try go for football? It was in the, the spring of my senior year of high school. I knew that I didn't want to be done with football because it had meant so much to me with getting through cancer. And it had started to give me a little bit of a platform to, to help impact people. My biggest goal was, hey, I want, to, I want to play at the next level to see if I can grow my story. I had called different coaches. No one was really getting back to me and no one was really saying, okay, we'll give you a chance. You yeah. know, I was getting a lot of, Yep, you can come be a practice player, but we'll never put you in a game. Um, Where were you looking at besides the U? I could have been a practice player at Old Miss, Florida State. I could have been a practice player, and the one that I really wanted to go to was Tennessee. Yeah, that was my number one choice. Was the University of Tennessee? Took a visit and everything through the whole football complex. Met with the head coach at the time, and he was like, "Yep, I got a spot for you as a walk-on. Just got to make sure that our doctors clear you to play, so then I can play you in a game if that time comes." Get a call back in March of my senior year of high school that the doctors at Tennessee didn't clear me to play. Pretty tough call to get. Yeah, really tough call to get. At that point, Coach Fleck was just kind of getting here at the University of Minnesota. He got hired in like end of January, start of February. There was a recruiting coordinator who had reached out at Minnesota and said, just wanted to reach out, heard that you're looking to play at the next level. Coach Fleck would like to sit down with you. I didn't know anything about Coach Flock other than like he was the row the boat guy. Yeah, yeah, the ball, the row the boat guy. Yeah. Very loud. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have any other options. I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't I don't have anything else going for me for right sure. now. So so I go over there and meet with him. I I walked into Coach Flock's office and was like I sat down with him and he was like, I don't know anything about you, but the people in this state can't stop talking about you. <laughs> so I got a spot for you if you want it. 
Just and like that. Just like that. And literally, as he said that, I said, I'm in. I said, I'm in. And so from then on, um, it was my transition to play college football. Yeah. So I finished up high school, graduated from Creighton in middle of May, I think it is. To middle of May 2017. Yep, middle of May 2017. And was on campus as a freshman football player. You know, they bring us all in in the summer. Uh So I moved into my dorm like three days after graduating high school. Started with the 6 a.m. workouts and started with summer practice, captain's practice and all that all that jazz and so are you technically a walk-on yep 100 percent. So, okay so i was paid my whole way through school gotcha the biggest change about it was the fact that in high school you know i kind of the coaches let me kind of do my own thing at practice and when my knee was sore i didn't hold much and kind of managed myself sure but when you get to the college level they made you, <laughs> you know they 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 have their plan for you and that was going to be that. Yeah, it's not um, really – you are not don't have a lot of independence no, in, in your workout programs. Yeah, and the, what the team's going to do, the team's going to do. That was a big change for me, you know. It's hard workouts early in the morning and everything like that. Uh, but Kind of a wake-up call. It was a huge wake-up <laughs> call. You know, it sounded good to play college football, but once you get in it, it's, it's a little bit of a different animal. Sure. Get into my freshman season. Obviously, redshirted my freshman season. And then in that January, it was my two-year scan. And – once you hit your two-year scan, then instead of being every three months, you get to go to every six months. So it's a pretty gotcha. big milestone. Yeah. And relapsed in that two-year scan. Hmm. Where, did, where did it show up? Lungs again. Lungs Same again, okay. Thing. Yep. One of the lungs. Can't even remember which side because I've had so many so many <laughs> lung surgeries. But um, had that lung surgery and then started on chemo pills. These chemo pills were kind of the, – the thought was basically, hey, we're going to start you on these pills – and make sure that whatever's in there, we kind of keep it in a holding pattern until we figure out our next steps and our next plan. Okay. We are petitioning to the FDA to try to get approved for immunotherapy, which is a, a newer type of treatment that they were trying. Okay. Because we needed some something different. We needed something different to try because it was popping up for the for the third time, and we figured we wanted to try a little something that you were looking for new solutions. Absolutely, we we're looking for something that maybe out of the box, a little something out of the box. But it's it's difficult to get the FDA to, to allow you to use these things when they're not cl- passed no. and cleared in, in the United States. We had different doctors and people writing letters on our behalf, and I was taking these chemo pills at the time. School starts and football starts again, and I'm still participating in everything like that. Hair starting to fall out and whatnot. Uh. And then we get into spring ball, and spring ball's this this set of 15 practices that you have in the spring for the team to practice. And it's like full pads and everything, and it's pretty intense. I would stand in my locker and take a handful of chemo pills and then walk down to, <laughs> walk down to a Big Ten practice. I mean, it's pretty Pro- crazy. I mean, that's safe to say you're the only guy in college football Division One history to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know of anybody else. If yeah, I don't know there, about anybody else. Who, if they're out there, I'd like to come sit down with them <laughs> and share stories. But. Swap stories. I mean, the first guy to ever do it, probably the only guy to ever do it, and— I can just imagine this whole time, like, the doctors can't be happy that you're continuing to do this because, I mean, is working out that intensely, it can't, is that good for you or is it bad for you when you're on all these medications? Yeah, so that was kind of the fine line that I had to walk because it's good for you to an extent that you're getting your body up and you're moving around because when you're getting chemo, it's a lot of sitting in a chair or laying in bed. So it's good that I was getting up and moving the blood around, but at the same time, it's really taxing on your heart to go through all these these difficult uh. treatments because your heart's got to like clear all this stuff through through your body when it gets in your blood. 
putting a strenuous workout on your heart while going through it is potentially dangerous. Yeah, a D1 football workout. Yeah. Where the coaches aren't giving you a lot of wiggle room. Yeah, so my, my doctors were, were doing a bunch. I had probably 20 different heart echograms and echocardiograms okay. and making sure that my heart was working the way it's supposed to because they're like, hey, you're you're putting some stress on your heart, but you got to be careful. Yeah. So, you know, I try to tone it down once they said, hey, this is this could be bad for your heart because I know that's that's pretty serious stuff. Do these chemo pills have the same kind of taxing quality as the uh, as a chemo with the IV did? No, you know, every type of chemo has kind of different side effects. I guess you would know. You've, you've tried them <laughs> yeah. all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could, you could show me the menu. <laughs> but these ones I felt like were a little bit little bit easier for me. But, you know, hair follow-up and everything like that. And it, everything's a little bit different, but none of them are fun. I'll tell you that much. None of them are anything gotcha. you want to take. I mean, it comes in this, like, big, like, yellow, like, biohazard bag where you're not <laughs> supposed to let other people touch it because it could get them... Uh. I don't know what could happen. But, <laughs> and then, and then the, you got to put it inside yeah, your the, body. The scary part is, is like the, the lady walks out in like gloves in a hazmat suit to hand it to me. And I'm like, I got to put this in my, my body. Like, right. How bad is this thing? This is the third battle, right? Yeah. So third mm-hmm. battle, mm-hmm. you're in the spring workout, intense stuff. What's the next step? Does spring workout end and you're still taking it or? Yeah. So the spring workout ends. I have another scan where it pops up on the other side. And so we rewrite a letter to the FDA saying, hey, it's come back again. What can we do about this? And at that point, we finally got cleared to do the immunotherapy. How, how, how many people, if you, I don't know if you know this, like get that clearance, get that letter from the FDA saying, okay, you can use it. When I did it, I was one of two people in Minnesota who was able to do it, Okay, which is a pretty big deal, really big deal, honestly. Um, and I, honestly, I owe a lot to the doctors at Masonic who are writing all these letters to the FDA. Yeah, they're trying to get you mm-hmm. pretty much any treatment that might work. Yeah, honestly. I had port put back in for the third time mm. and started back on the immunotherapy. And that was once a week, every Wednesday, through my sophomore into my junior year of college had to leave class on Wednesdays in college because I had to go to immunotherapy at the hospital. (laughs) I did that all the way through. That was my sophomore, my redshirt sophomore year of of football. And then my junior year of school finished that up. Now we're coming into spring ball and coming into my... So do you you finish up the treatment? Do you Mm -hmm. get, do you get clean scans after that? Yeah. So... Okay. So no surgery needed this time? No. I mean, at this point I had already had three or four lung surgeries of mm-hmm. these four four hour lung surgeries where they, they take out a piece of your lung. So at this point I'm coming into my my junior year of, academically. Yep, junior right. year academically. This is the season where I was asked to speak at the Big Ten luncheon in the summer in Chicago. For sure. And that was a really special honor because the Big Ten luncheon, kickoff luncheon, is where they take the three best players from every team in the Big Ten and then their head coach, and they go down there, and you do a bunch of radio and TV interviews, and then it concludes with a luncheon with about 2,000 people, players and fans. They have one student athlete who represents the whole Big Ten and speaks at it. And like names in the past have been like Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, Eric Decker from Minnesota. Okay. So um, some like, really big yeah, NFL like names. Big some name very, people. okay. They had picked me to do it because I'd sent in my story and said, hey, like, I want to give a speech. Who reaches out to you? Just the Big Ten in general? Just like the, the entity that is Big Ten? Yeah. So, they, <laughs> so I went through my PR guy, our PR guy, 
PR guy at Minnesota. And we sat down and we wrote this, this big proposal to the Big Ten, put together this proposal, sent it over to the Big Ten, and they have a committee that votes on it. And the committee was kind of split on picking me as the speaker. Oh, really? Yeah. And I didn't learn about this until probably three weeks before I went down there. Oh, good. So it just gives you a little bit of exactly. anxiety beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> so the committee is split on picking me because, yes, I have a great story, but the majority of the country has no idea who I am. I've never played in a game, and I'm a walk-on. They've never picked a walk-on before, and they've never picked They never picked a walk-on before. Never picked a walk-on, and obviously they've never picked someone who hasn't played in a game because they want somebody who's a big name. For sure. They pick me. It gets announced and everything, and I find out, and I have to prepare the speech. You yeah. know, I had, I had no speech writing. You got your like freshman that. writing class at the yeah. University of Minnesota. <laughs> so I sat down and with our, our guy over there, Paul Rovnak, who's a great dude. He helped me write my speech. We sat down, we write this speech out. It comes out to be about 15 minutes long. We send it over to the Big Ten because they have to look at it and they have to approve of it to make sure I'm not going up there and sure. saying something crazy. Exactly. <laughs> to pretty much anything ever big, you got to make sure that yep. How does so, that be say it's okay? They approve it and everything, but they say like, hey, it's it's like five minutes too long gotcha. because they only wanted it to be six to eight minutes because they're running on a TV schedule and everything like that. Sure. And I said, I'm not cutting anything. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm not cutting anything. So so they're split on picking you and you said, but they pick you, you send over the speech. They say, it's too long. You're like, that's my story. Yeah, I don't I give a damn. Said, yeah. I said, you know what? You picked me and I'm going to give my story. We go down there. I knew that the committee was split on me and that the majority of the country had no idea who the heck I was. Sure. So I went down there with the, the mindset that, hey, I'm going to leave my mark on this thing. No matter what I do, they're going to remember that they made a good choice and they picked a kid who, who had an impact. And I wanted to make sure that the people who on the committee who didn't want to pick me were like, wow, like, we made the right choice. Absolutely. So I I practiced that speech probably two hundred times, to the point where it was the 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 night before my speech, and I was in my hotel room, and I went to the the elevator or not the elevator, the staircase of our hotel floor, so that I could have a quiet area, <laughs> and was going through my speech for two hours the night before, and it you were going to do this thing right. I was going to do it right, and I wanted to get it to the point where. I didn't have to look down at all. It was a 15-minute speech, and I had it written out, but I didn't want to look down at all. You're trying to memorize it. Memorize the 15-minute speech. I get up there on the stage the next day, and, you know, at 2,000 people, people. and it's on TV. It's televised and and everything like that. And I walk up to the stage, and you got to walk past all 12, all 14 (laughs) Big Ten coaches. So, you know, I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh and all these different guys up there, like, I better do something good here, fellas. I better they, do something. At this point, do they know who you are? No, no, no. chance. Nobody, okay. nobody in there. All the other players have no clue who I am. So I get up there because so Minnesota, we brought down three players. We brought down Carter Coughlin, sure, Mo Ibrahim, our running back, and then Tyler Johnson, and then I was the plus one. You know, okay. I, so every team got to bring three players, and then Minnesota got to bring a fourth because I was the speaker. Sure thing. So I was like the three plus one. The day before, you do all these radio interviews where, like, the Nebraska football podcast can go talk to Carter Coughlin and ask what sure. Carter thinks of the Gophers this year. So 
all these guys, they want to talk to Tyler and they want to talk to Carter. And nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> like, who the hell is this yeah, number four guy? Yeah, who's this, plus one? Yeah, this backup holder from Minnesota. Like, who is this kid? <laughs> who's, who's never played a game so far? And, yeah. yeah. So I get up to the stage. I get into my like first two lines. You know, you've been up on a stage before, Isaiah, obviously. Once you get through the first two lines, you know, your shoulders kind of drop and, and you know it. From there yeah. out, you know it. And then you just kind of, you just kind of, Turn everything off and you just give your speech. And I mean, but the first two lines of yours are really important because it's exactly what you're talking about. I, I know the speech pretty well. It's it's most of you are looking up here and wondering who I am. Yeah. You don't know me. I give my speech, just talk about my story and about how much playing college football has meant to me and, and being in the Big Ten and being able to impact kids and, and being able to share my story to people going through cancer. I finish my speech and the whole place gives me a standing ovation. You know, they give me a standing ovation to the point where I walk off the stage and they don't stop clapping until I sit down in my chair, like 2,000 people. So at that point, I was like, hey, I think this went okay. <laughs> they this they know who okay. I am now, I God think damn this it. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the rest of the luncheon goes on and whatnot. And I didn't really look at my phone much. We get out of the luncheon. We're heading to the airport to go back to Minnesota. It's on ESPN. It's on Big Ten Network. It's on... Like ABC News, like it's like my yeah, you're, speech is you're all blowing over the place. up. You're blowing yeah. up. That's when my story really took off, and that's when my platform went from from being kind of down here to way up, like yeah. nationwide story. I mean, obviously, knowing you my entire life, I've known your story for a long time. It's been very well documented in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota, but this is when it becomes a national story. Yeah, this okay. is this is when you know people start sending letters from hospitals across the country saying, hey, we saw your speech, like, thank you for this. And that's when, once I get one of those, my motivation to continue goes yeah. through the roof. That's because incredible. I realize that, hey, I'm having an impact on people going through cancer, going through adversity in the hospital. I need to keep going. From there, College Game Day reaches out and they say that they want to do a story. We get that set up for, they're going to come spend a day in August while we're going through fall camp. And so they... They so, come in. so real quick, at this point, you were three times survivor? You know, I lose count sometimes. <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard. This is, I think, four this at is this four. point. Okay, you're at four, you're at four times yep. having these spots pop up, yep. surgery, chemo. Yeah. We're coming into a, this this past season, and, you know, we think we're going to be pretty good. Yeah. We don't know how good we're going to be, but we got a lot of guys coming back, and we got some good players on defense like Carter and, and Antoine Winfield, and then we got Rashad Bateman, and we got Tyler on offense. I'm obviously I'm still a backup holder, but my story's starting to catch and is starting to go a little bit. ESPN comes up and they spend a day up here, and they sit down with they sit down with me. They sit down with the kid who's starting in front of me, this kid Jacob Herbers, who's our punter and our starting holder. They ask him like, "Hey, do you think that you think yeah. that Casey's going to play?" And he's like, "You know, Casey and I have talked about." You know, if we get up on somebody, maybe I just lose my helmet. And, you know, <laughs> and he goes in for me, or something like that happens. You know, you know, I never lose my helmet, but maybe I forget it one day. Or something. <laughs> just this one time. It's yeah. like, Okay, oh I really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so he was like, "Yeah, I think I think somehow we'll find a way to get him in." They interviewed Coach Fleck too, and Coach Fleck was like, "Yep, it's it's in the back of my mind. We're gonna figure out a way to make it happen." The ESPN story comes out on. The weekend that we play against Purdue, yeah. and at this time we're probably I think we're four and zero at this point, three and zero or four and zero, yeah. and 
You know, that's a great still- that, that story itself, though. Real quick, that's a great story because they interview your parents as well. Yeah, they and, do, and they do some with Coach Fleck, and that is, I think, you know, again, I'm like speaking on behalf of a lot of people where they know the stories, bits and pieces, but that in and of itself, you learn a ton kind of about the actual emotion behind it. Yeah, sure. and I mean, I knew you're a couple time cancer. At this point, it's four times, and it's like, right? How do you, how does that happen? You know, I mean, I I lost track. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, the, uh, but the, that, that's an incredible thing that they did, and, it, and that's something that you should be really proud of. Yeah, that that ESPN story. You know, I've had I've had a lot of different news pieces and and newspaper pieces, and that story is the best the best coverage of my life and, and my battle with cancer that anyone's ever done. They do that, and it comes out, and the response is, is overwhelming. I can't keep up with all the messages and things like that because I I leave all my my direct message is open so that I get a lot of, hey, my, my son's been diagnosed with cancer. Hey, my nephew's been diagnosed. Will you call him? And so I call everybody who, who needs to hear from somebody. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And I probably call a, a person every single week. But Oh, you still get them? Oh, yeah. I still get them all the time. Anyway, so I left all these open for people to reach out who needed help. But it was it was so much that I couldn't even keep up with it. I wanted to make sure that everyone who reached out to me saying, hey, I'm going through this. And I'm in the hospital right now. Your story means a lot. I wanted to make sure every person got a response. I probably spent three or four days responding to all these messages and things like that and making sure that they heard back from me. The weekend that we played Purdue is the weekend that the college game day story comes out. And we beat Purdue. And then we win the next week against Illinois, I think it is. And then we play at home against Nebraska. And we get up on Nebraska and it's like it's like 35-7 or something like that. I get our, our special teams coach runs up to me and he was like, next, next extra point, you're going in. And it's like sleet snow and it's like 20 <laughs> degrees, like worst conditions to hold ever. Very Minnesota football game. Yeah. yeah classic Minnesota. And, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm going to get a bad snap and this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> we get to a situation. There's, there's like six or seven minutes left in the game when this gotcha. happens. And we get into a situation where it's like a, fourth and two from like the 35 so it'd be like a like a 50 yard field goal yeah that's a decent sized field goal and so we ended up punting away and you know i was a little bit bummed out because i didn't get to go in and i didn't know if i was going to get that chance again because i've never i never had him come up and say hey you're going to go in you this know, is the realest it's ever gotten yeah 100 percent. you know i had the butterflies and everything like that and i was at home and my parents were there so i didn't know if i was going to get that chance again i didn't end up getting in against that game against nebraska and the next week, so we're 6-0 and at this point. The next week, we're going on the road to play Rutgers. And Rutgers is not great at the time. I'm thinking, hey, you know, I haven't traveled all year. Oh, they yeah. Only, oh, you haven't been only, traveling. You've only been doing home games. Mm-hmm. They can only travel 75 guys. So to bring a backup holder doesn't really make a lot of sense. When sure. You can bring a, a backup running back or something like that. They, they release our travel roster on Thursday, and we fly out on Friday. I get a text on Wednesday night that says, don't tell anybody, but you're traveling. Like, let your parents know, but nobody else. Who shoots traveling. you that text? Um, our operations guy, who's gotcha. one of my good buddies. And he was like, I'm not, I can't tell you this, but I'm gonna. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm really not supposed to be yeah. telling this. Was that your dad's old job when he was at the Gophers? Yep, it oh, was. Okay. okay. So I, I know him really well. And he's one of my close buddies, but he was like, Hey, like make sure your parents get a flight. You're traveling. My parents book a flight, you know, they get out there. And the cool part about it is that Parents are allowed to come see us at the hotel on Friday night. 
And, you know, this is my first time traveling that year and get to see my parents at the hotel the night before the game. They're basically like, hey, if you get in, you know, whatever happens, we're proud of you. Even if, yeah. even if it doesn't go the way you want it to and something bad happens, like no matter what, we're proud of you. And okay. so that that was cool to hear. And it's got to be something really special. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. like long road to that to that point oh, in time, man. even to that night before just you and your mom and dad. Yeah. That's incredible. I still haven't been told anything. Like no one has told me, hey, if we get up by X points, you're going in or hey, be ready to go. Like no one had told me anything. We get into the game and everything and we didn't play a great first half. I think we were only up like 17-0 at half. Like it wasn't a blow up by any means. But then we start to kind of turn it on in the third quarter. Yeah. We're up 28-0 and it's a fourth and one on Rutgers probably eight yard line. Our, our starting holder is still in the game. And he's warming up with our snapper on the sideline just in case they decide they want to kick this field goal. So Jacob Herbers, he, he yeah, comes over. Yep. He comes over and he's like, Hey, man, like, I don't know what's going to happen. So you maybe should just take one just in case. Cause I hadn't taken a snap the entire game. Yeah. I just been kind of hanging out because I'm not playing. Sure. And so I, I hadn't warmed up or anything. So I take one snap and kind of jog off the field because the team's going back out. Gotcha. Come to find out later from Tanner Morgan, our quarterback, Coach Fleck comes in the huddle and is like, you guys better score right here because Casey's going in. <laughs> but I had no idea. And so So he he runs into the group and is like He's like like offensive line, you better you better move these guys. And you do your job. Off. This yeah. is a big moment for the team. Yeah. He calls a run play and we score on that fourth and one from like the eight yard line. Gotcha. And so I'm standing there and Coach Fleck turns around and he's like, Casey, go. And if I wasn't standing there, I, it would have been a problem. You would have missed that. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, you know, something could happen here. But you were hanging about yeah. by Fleck just, just to be just sure. Case, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he turns around and sees me or something, but he knew that he was going to put me in right there. But no one had said anything. So I was lucky that Herbers had said, hey, go take a snap just in case. You wouldn't or else I would have had no warm-up. And so I jog out there. And, you know, I, I made sure to look around as I was going out there. Because at that point, like, I had made it. Like, I was on a Big Ten field. Yep. And so I go out there, and I get in my stance, and I go through the cadence and everything. And at this point, it's probably it was a two thirty game, so it's probably six or six thirty, and it's lights are on, completely black, like stadiums full, not sure. not full because it's Rutgers, you know, but, <laughs> but but, but you know, there's, there's thousands of people. Yeah, there's out thousands there. of people watching me. Snap comes, and it literally like I still think back about it. It literally feels like it's in slow motion. And so I catch the ball in my hands, and I look at it, and I'm like. I got to put it down. Like, I got to do my job here. I better get this thing down. So anyway, so I put it down and we made the extra point and the whole team comes yeah. up to meet me. And so whole team comes out. They're and, slapping your helmet. Oh, I, yeah. I remember the video, man. Yeah, it's... everybody's fired up. And the thing that I want to do is I wanted to, to run up to Coach Fleck. And, you know, the the picture and everything is pretty iconic. Yeah. But everybody asked, like, what what was said during that, that little, that hug that you guys had? And that... The, the motto for that season was, um, is it worth it? Is it worth it for you to give up your social life, your your free time to make sure that this team has the year we think we can have? You know, because we thought we were going to be good. We didn't know how good we were going to be. Sure. And Coach Flack all year was like, is it worth it to you? Is it worth it to you? I ran up to him and I hugged him and I was like, it was worth it. And by that, I meant, <laughs> I meant all the chemotherapies, all the surgeries. All the time in the hospital, everything I've been through was worth it to, to go play in that game. Yeah. And, you know, I think we both had a couple of tears. And, <laughs> I'm crying right now, yeah. man. Oh, my God. I, this, is, this is the full time I've heard the story to completion. And it's yeah. just, 
It is an incredible story. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he says that's the longest he's ever hugged someone. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, he goes, yeah. he goes like just a lot of a lot of emotion there. Mm-hmm. Everybody just coming up to me and saying like, like you did it, man. Like you did it. Coach and I have that embrace or whatever. We kick the ball off. The first play from scrimmage is a pick six by Antoine Winfield. I'm right next to him, and he goes, "You better go back in." <laughs> so, so he puts me back in for the next one, and that's not like that's not even a minute apart. That's no. like of game time. Yeah. That's like it was like it was like 13 seconds of game clock apart. Run back out there, and, and I get get to hold that one, and I hold three times in that game. Get up to the locker room, and everything. My parents were there. You know, I got the high five. My parents going up the tunnel to the locker room, for which sure. was really cool. I think Coach Flack gave a hug to both my parents, which was also cool. And so I'm celebrating with my teammates in the locker room and everything like that. Hadn't really picked up my phone because, you know, I knew it was probably going to be Yeah, it's on fire right now. They had asked me to do, like, a post-game press conference because I usually pick, like, two or three guys to go talk to the media. So I got to talk to the media and then walk out to to the buses where we're going to head back to the airport and, like, hug my parents and everything and sit down on the bus to go to the airport and pull up my phone for the first time. And I think I had literally 600 (laughs) texts. And I click on Twitter and like it's you're it's, added 500 times, dude. It's it's on Barstool Sports. It's on ABC Nightly News. It's on. It was everywhere. ESPN. I remember the day. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was everywhere, and it was like the the tweet on ESPN saying like Casey O'Brien, four time cancer survivor, plays in his first college game, and it has like seventy thousand favorites yeah. and like thirty thousand retweets, and like it's all over. You're feeling pretty good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect this at all. And so, you know, I'm trying to respond to everybody and and tell everybody thank you for, for That's so funny because that's the kind of guy you are, making sure everybody gets the, the thank you back and the response back. Well, I mean, the thing for me is like if you if you go through cancer, it's it's a community battle. There's so many people who help you get through it. There's so many people who take care of you and make sure that – that you're mentally okay because it's a, it's a mental battle with cancer. You know, I wanted to make sure that that everybody knew that they were a part of that moment and that I didn't get there by myself. So I was trying to respond to everybody and, you know, had a lot of people reaching out and then had to come back to school on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to come back to Earth and go to my finance classes on Monday. Homework was still due. <laughs> yeah. That all happened that weekend at Rutgers. And then uh. the next weekend we played at home against Maryland. We get up against Maryland. It's late in the third quarter. They sneak me into the game. I hold that the last extra point of the third quarter. And then we go into the fourth quarter and we score again. And we're in front of our student section. And at this point, we're seven and oh, and the place is still packed. Yeah. The student section was building and building and building over home games that year, especially with the undefeated streak. I remember, I mean, it used to be when I was a freshman there a couple of years ago, you could buy a game day ticket for a student, no problem, you know, like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Right. Like by the end of the season, they were charging $150 <laughs> for these students, student section yeah, tickets. Yeah, stand the whole game and everything. Yeah. I'm down there in front of our student section for my second hold at the end of the game against Maryland. You know, I'm in my stance and I'm, I'm saying the snap cadence over the loudspeaker I hear. And now in the game, Casey, Casey O'Brien. O'Brien. And I was like, I better not screw this one up because <laughs> the place went crazy. Ended up getting it down and, and the place went crazy. But, you know, that some special memories that I have from that year. And um, then we have a bye week and we go play Penn State. Yeah. And, you know, that, that Penn State was, I was, there. was nuts. I went to that game with my dad. The go for camaraderie and the, just the, the student support and the community support for that team 
with you being a big part of that, that, that season was just building and building and building. Mm-hmm. And when we won that game, I mean, I stormed the field. I was on the field. Like, I remember, like, everybody was trying to, like, get a hold of Fleck, but he's got, like, the state troopers, like, yeah, guarding yeah. and everything like that. I ran into Ryan Gibbs on the field, and no we got way. a picture together. So yeah, that's awesome. It was a really good time. So I literally, like, I just got chills thinking about it because I got asked about this the other day. Like, what was that week leading up to that game like? And so we played Maryland, and we beat Maryland. We hung 50 on Maryland, which we hadn't hung 50 in a Big Ten game in a long time. Yeah. And so we beat Maryland – like 54 to 10 or something like that. And then we have a bye week. We're going to come back and we're going to play Penn State at home, who's undefeated. And Penn State. There's bye week and there's no game. And obviously, like, game days are a big big deal that the students on campus, they like to get after it. So there's nothing for no the No idea kids. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't remember any of it. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no nothing to really get going for that Saturday, yeah. but, but everybody knows like that next week is going to be a huge game. Oh, yeah. And so as we get into game week, like campus starts to buzz a little bit and like it keeps on growing and growing and growing. By the time that we get to like Friday of game week, like campus is going nuts. So we get to game day on Saturday. We come up for warmups, like, like literally 60, 70 minutes before the game. And like the entire lower section of the student section is full. And, like, I've been playing for four years, three years at a time, and I had never seen anything like that. No. And so I knew, like, this place is going to be bumping. <laughs> so this is going to this this place, is a <laughs> this place is be going nuts. You know, the cool part about it was that, you know, I was the coin toss captain for that game. So I go out there, and we end up winning the coin toss. What would you call? We, so the visiting team calls. So Penn State called. Gotcha. And they picked heads, and it was tails or something like that. But we got what we wanted. We wanted to kick off. And so they, like, the ref said, okay, Minnesota, like, put your backs to what, here, and Penn State, put your backs to here. And so I was looking straight into our student section, and it was like, it was like people were like hanging out the sides of the <laughs> hanging out the sides of the stadium. They they couldn't find a place to stand. Uh, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is gonna be nuts. A feeling like none other. And then so we kick off, and we force we force a punt. And our second play from scrimmage, Rashad scores on like a 60-yard touchdown. Sure. And the place just went nuts. I, it was nuts. It's insane. One of the loudest, yeah. loudest stadiums I've ever heard. Looking at people, and we're just surprised we're doing it. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. like the students. Like, yeah. I, know, I, I feel like, I hope you don't get upset. I'm saying we like I'm on the team. I go to the school, <laughs> so it kind of counts. But like that's how it felt for every right. single student in that section. Was right. It's a very we experience. Yeah. And then obviously, um, it's, it's a close game the whole way through. And... We get a pick as they're driving, and the to to win the game, they have they have the ball, and we're up like five. They throw a pick with like thirty seconds left in the game to seal the deal for us, and then we get to kneel it out, and just yeah. everyone just comes rushing on the field. I mean, when you look at the pictures, like the overhead pictures, it's insane. It's insane how many people were on the field. The press box pictures yeah. are crazy. It's like the entire basically a hundred yards of field is full of people. I know, and it was. <laughs> I mean, I remember my dad saying, "Oh, these." These goalposts are coming down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these field goalposts. He goes, there's no way they last. And they <laughs> did. And they did. But, like, he was so shocked. He's yeah. like, these are coming down. Yeah, I mean, just being a part of that. And then we go down and we get to play Iowa. And I get to be a part of the wave at Iowa to, to uh. wave to the kids in the hospital room. And they have, like, Casey O'Brien signs in the hospital at, over the field at That's Iowa. That's huge. Yeah. And that was one of the moments that sticks with me, too. So the hospital looks out on the... Field. Yeah, so they have this tradition down at Iowa where the Iowa Children's Hospital overlooks the stadium. At the end of the third quarter of every Iowa home game, both sidelines and all the fans in the stadium 
wave at the kids who are up in the hospital. That's really sweet. And That's they, super they special. line every floor, like kids who are going through chemo or surgeries and everything. They line every floor of the hospital and they wave back. And there was like Casey O'Brien signs on different floors of the hospital. And that's when I was yeah. like, like, we're doing something special here. It just means so much, like knowing you for as long as I have and, and seeing your reach in a genuine capacity, in a visible capacity with these kids that are going through something very similar to what you went through. Mm-hmm. And you offering that inspiration is just, you know, it, words don't do it justice. Yeah. It is it is beyond special. It's, it's miraculous. My ultimate goal for playing college football, obviously I never knew that it was going to have the impact that it did, but my ultimate goal was to be able to show kids in the hospital who are going through what I had that, hey, I've been through this and I'm living my dream. So whatever dream it is that you have, you can go live that too. You're going you're gonna to beat whatever you're going through and you can go live your dream. To be able to, to, to do that on the stage that I was able to be on, I mean, I had, I had people in my DMs on Instagram from Australia, from Europe, from Germany, from across the world saying, yeah. hey, like we're watching from a hospital room. Like I was getting pictures of people like like with their like feet in their hospital bed with with gopher games on TV. <laughs> and I mean like that's that's really more than I could ever ask for in terms of having my story have an impact. So finally the gophers have a bowl game. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they're in the South. Did you travel with the team at all or Yeah. So we played Iowa and we got beat by Iowa and then we played at Home against Wisconsin. Yeah, I know that game. I went there with my dad, my brother, and his girlfriend, and they're both Badgers. Oh. And that game, I mean, I don't leave many games early, but I just couldn't deal with them. So yeah. we had, had to leave that one early, yeah. But the thing was is that— um, We scored right away, too. Yeah, we did. We had got back from Iowa on Sunday morning. I had my three-month scans on Monday. In that three-month scan, five days before we go play Wisconsin, I relapsed for the fifth time. And so had oh, that scan shit. on Monday, had lung surgery on Wednesday. Oh, right away. Right away, yeah. And they were like, yep, we're going to need you to stay in the hospital for probably three or four days. I was like, I'm not missing the game. And so I ended up breaking out of the hospital on Friday night, had a basically like an IV into my back with a nerve block. <laughs> And went to the game on Saturday. It was in the locker room on Saturday. Oh, my God. With, with with an IV bag? I mean, it was in my back, and then I had it, like, basically in, like, a little, like, fanny pack around my waist. So, oh that my I, could, so I could move around with it. <laughs> I had this lung surgery on Wednesday where they basically break your ribs to get to your lung. So I get in the locker room, and, like, obviously the team knows that I had this relapse and I had surgery, and no one knew that I was coming to the game. I show up in the locker room. And everybody's like patting me on the back and stuff. And I got like broken ribs. I'm like, dude, stop. This hurts a lot. So we get picked to go play down in the Outback Bowl against Auburn. And Auburn's like this big SEC powerhouse. Oh, yeah. And we open as like 13-point underdogs or something huge. We get down there in Tampa. Both teams come down like a week before. They're basically like like they don't they don't give two craps about Minnesota. They think no. that we're a joke. Like they think they're gonna hang fifty on us. They're t- talking trash all week. Like you guys don't belong here. Like this is the SEC country. Like we're gonna pound you guys. Wow, it was yeah. it was really it was that raw. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. I had been our our coin toss captain all year. Was able to recover from the surgery. Was out there. Was dressed and are you doing chemo at this point though? I wasn't. Okay. So I didn't start until I came back um, from the bowl game. Gotcha. I 
go down and I'm there all week, practice all week, and obviously you're dressed out for the game. And you had surgery how how soon before like this? Thanks, weeks like three weeks? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like uh, over Thanksgiving, basically. Yep. I'm out there with a the coin toss, and it's me, and then it's like they're three studs. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like they're talking trash to me at the coin toss, and I'm like, dude, I'm not even playing. <laughs> I, got, I got like broken ribs. Like, why are you talking to me? They're trying to intimidate yeah, the uh, like, backup yeah. placeholder. Yeah, like, dude, the Minnesota Gophers. Do a little research and see who you're talking to here. <laughs> and then, obviously, we, we end up going on to win that game. And it just was the, the best way to cap off that year. Yeah. Ab- I mean, absolutely. I was watching it with your family, actually, like mm-hmm. your cousins, with Liam and Dan and Colleen. Down and Plums, weren't you guys up? We were all at Plums watching the game. Yeah. And, I mean, it's keep in mind, it's day after New Year's. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're hurting. Oh, we were hurting. We were drinking Coca-Colas. Like, we were like, like this is the cure for, for last night. But it was like, your, your uncle kept on saying, Dan kept on saying, he goes, we're watching Minnesota Gopher Bowl game on, in, in January. We're watching a bowl game for the Gophers in January. Yeah. He just kept on repeating it because it was such a surreal moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, I just remember him saying that. And there's a lot of pride behind you. And we were talking about how Casey's down there and Casey was the coin toss. And it was a, it was a big moment for our St. Paul community as well. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, you know, I, I had I had such a great support system in St. Paul. And even people I don't know in St. Paul just, just reaching out to my family and things like that. And saying how proud they were of me. And the St. Paul ties really do run deep. And that's something that, that I'll, I'll always take with me is how much this community cared about me and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, and you've, and you've paid that back tenfold. I mean, there's been a ton of people with cancer diagnoses in the metro area, St. Paul not alone, that you've had an impact on. It's felt very deeply and richly in, in your hometown just because we're so freaking proud of you, you know, and, but and so five times. Yep. So, five times. so I had that relapse in November and then come back from the bowl game after that great win, like riding this huge high and have a scan in like second week of January. And there's a spot on the other side. Oh, God. So they're like, yep, we think that this is, this is from your previous spot that we took out, that it had spread to the other side. and It hadn't showed up on the scan yet. So we think there's more in there. We're going to put a port back in to start chemo again. God damn so it. I'm going through it for the fifth time, and they're, they're like digging to find a chemo they can do for me because at this point, like, if you make it to five times, like, they don't have a playbook for them. No, they're, <laughs> they're not sure what to do exactly. They're calling audibles here. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, they start me on this chemo. This one was different. I was in, it was basically once a week for only like half a day. It was just like a six-hour infusion, which was nice because I didn't have to sleep there. was still working out with the team and everything. And then um, go through January, go through February, and then boom, the pandemic hits. Yeah. But the pandemic doesn't stop chemo treatments. So yeah. it, it was just crazy that in January, I was sitting there in the infusion room with five, six people. And then once March hits, I'm at over 18. So I can't even have a parent with me anymore. So I'm, oh, going, really? I'm going in there alone. Yeah. And you know, I'm okay because I'm, I'm 21. So like, I'm, you've I'm also been, with, this is also your fifth go around. You, you yeah. get the drill. Yeah. I know everything that's going on and everything, but you know, for those who are under 18, they're only allowed one parent and no visitors. And for those over 18, if this is their first time going through it, they don't have a parent with them. Like, I don't feel like, like my parents sometimes were looking out for me when I didn't understand what was going on. So, you know, that was something that didn't sit real well with me either. Like, hey, I know what's going on here, but somebody might not. And, you know, I feel like they need to have some help in here. 
Absolutely. Anyway, so I, I was going through chemo while COVID was going on, everything like that. You know, had a lung surgery in, in the end of March to take this the spot out that they had found in January and then finished up with, with two more months of chemo and finished in the end of May. Gotcha. And so I've had I've had clean scan since May. Clean scan since May. Congratulations, by the way. That's yeah, huge. That's yep. So um, we're at nine months now. So we got nine to months. Keep it going. I gotta get I gotta get to two years and then I'll go to six months and then once you hit five years, it's once a year. Gotcha. So the big hurdle is two years and then five years. Two years and five years. Okay. So yep. you're doing every three months. You're nine months. Um, nine months free. cancer free since yep. May. Mm-hmm. And when when was your last test? Uh, it was literally two weeks ago. Um, Two weeks ago on Monday, came back completely clean. We're all so, good. We're yeah. all good two weeks ago. So we're feeling good. Um, I mean, obviously, every time you go in for scans, it's a long day. And I've, I've been through it so many times where it's gone both ways that it kind of feels like a flip of a coin on what they're going to say. When you were going through all this, though, you know, starting when you were 13, you're now 22, 21? 21, yep. 21. Who, like, you've been this incredible role model for these kids. For a long time, for mm-hmm. a lot of young people and old people alike, started out in the Twin Cities. Now it's national. Now it's global. You've had all these people reach out to you as a role model. When you started off and throughout the process, did you have anybody that you looked to as a role model, people that you were harnessing strength from? That kind of goes back to the reason why I wanted to play college football. You know, I had I had people who I could talk to that had been through chemo and that had been through osteosarcoma and things like that. But I didn't have anyone who had been through it and was living out their dream like that I could look to and say, oh, this is a football player who's been through what I have. My whole goal was I want to get through this so that I can be that for that person, be that person for someone younger than me or someone going through it because I didn't have that. I didn't really have someone who was a true osteosarcoma role model for me. You know, I had people who helped me sure. along the way. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't like... But when you are a trailblazer, yeah. you can't look to anyone who's done it before when you're yeah. the pioneer doing it yourself. I'm looking at your arm right now. Oh, yeah. You got all the... How many yeah. bands you got there? In my cancer battles, one of the things that, that I can always connect to and relate with on people is usually you make a wristband to show like your support for someone going through it. You know, they did it for me when I was going through it. Yeah, and, the pur- purple and gold wristbands, man. Yeah. So there'll just there'll just be like a little quick wristband that says like like Team Casey or like Team Braxton or Team Megan or whatever it is. When I was in the hospital, I would actually go down to different kids' rooms who were in the hospital as well going through chemo and being like, hey, like, can I get one of your wristbands? So we'd trade wristbands and stuff like that to show like our support for each other. As I kind of got into college football, I had like two or three wristbands that I was wearing for kids that I had met in the hospital. I realized like, hey, I can go and visit kids and then I can get a wristband from them and they can look on TV and say, oh, he's wearing my wristband on TV. Like this is a tangible, like, yeah. I can go do this too. Like That's, it's, that's, that's part of me on TV watching yeah. this guy who's been what I'm going through. Yeah. So I got like four or five. So I, I was up to like four or five in my fr- freshman year of college, just from kids who I'd went and visited in the hospital. And, you know, I get, I get one here or there, and then I'd give this speech at the luncheon. And I think I mentioned the, the wristbands at the, in my speech at the luncheon about wearing them for people who I was supporting or are, are not here today that I had yeah. supported. And I think in the speech, I said, like, hey, I, like, I wear seven wristbands for seven different kids that I met. Once that, that speech goes out there and it gets on ESPN, yeah. there was probably 
20, 30 people that sent wristbands to me. Super, and super so cool. They would they would mail these wristbands to my apartment down at school. They would attach like pictures and the story of like the kid going through it. I'd write letters back to these people and be like, like, hey, look for your wristband on Saturday. Like, I'm gonna wear it. Like, look for your wristband on Saturday. And so I think I'm up to like 15 or 16 that I wear now. It goes up yeah. like half. Yeah, no, I mean, it's got like <laughs> I probably have 15, 20 in my collection at home that I kind of rotate them through to make sure that I'm representing everybody but you know that's that's a big thing for me a a motivator for me as i had these fourth and fifth relapses is that you know i I represent a lot of people in the cancer world and and they need to see me out there on the field you know they don't want to see me in the hospital room they need to see like their role model on the field they want to see their wristband on tv so that was kind of one of the things that motivated me to to get back and get healthy is hey like you got to show these kids that they can do it too and that that their role model is, is healthy and he's playing football still that's amazing. I want to talk a little bit about Coach Fleck because he's just this immense persona at the U. Being a mm-hmm. student there and having a lot of friends who are also students there, we know like he's the man. I remember I, run, I ran the Goldie 5K my freshman year, mm-hmm. and I and he's the one who he led it off, and mm-hmm. me and my friend Ryan Gibbs, who you know pretty well, and yep. and we ran it together. Um, and at the end, we saw Coach Fleck, and I remember thinking we we're, we're, we finished and we're walking back. Ryan, that's Fleck. He goes, I see, I don't say anything. I go, what the hell? Don't say anything. I go, yo, coach. And he runs across the street and he goes, you guys are done already? I go, yeah, can we get a picture? And so we grabbed a picture with him and like, that's on all my social media. That one picture <laughs> with coach with coach PJ Fleck, like it's super important. The school sees your relationship with him and they're just like, think it's so special. And like, I just wonder if you can like speak on a little bit of that and how, you know, he's the one coach who, who, who took you in yeah. and kind of developed that relationship with you. He's the one coach who gave me a chance, obviously, like we've covered. The other cool thing about him is that he loves to do work with the hospital, the Masonic Children's that's right. Hospital. Yeah. So that's something that, that we have really bonded and grown our relationship over is, is helping kids and helping the hospital. And, you know, he donated a bunch of money to the hospital and they have a, a row the boat wall now in the hospital. They do a lot of these fundraisers and things like that where they, they raise a lot of money for the hospital. You know, him and I go over there and we'll visit kids together and things like that. And, you know, it's it's a relationship that's more than just football, which is cool. And I don't think that many, many kids across the country have that with their coaches. You know, it's just a business relationship like, hey, you're going to help me win games and I'm going to help, help you get to the NFL. And, you know, I, I had no aspirations to go to the NFL. I had aspirations of helping people and he helped me do that. So um, I'm thankful for the relationship that we have. And, you know, we, uh, we get along well because we're, yeah. we have similar mindsets in helping people and, and being high energy guys. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we see him as like this incredible persona yelling almost all the time. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I got mean, my, if you walk by practice, it's loud. Well, that's the thing is my apartment next year is the Golden Lodges, which yeah. is right, which is right across the street from the practice facility. And the people living there right now are like, oh, you'll hear Fleck in the morning. Oh yeah. yeah he's yelling. You'll, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, hear. you'll hear some, uh, some language, but, uh, we, we see him as this and you just have this different relationship with him as like a softer kind of, you know, more human in a lot of respects, you know, yeah. a human connection. Yeah, it's pretty cool to have the relationship where, where I can walk into his office and sit down with him one-on-one where there's no cameras involved and we can just kind of kind of just talk and, and just— shoot, shoot the breeze. Yeah, shoot the breeze and talk about life, you know, and and he's helped me with some of the things that I've wanted to get done at the hospital, and I've helped him and, and spoke at some events for him. So, you know, it's, it's both of us working together to try to impact people, so. Yeah, that's great. Casey O'Brien, thank you so much for coming on. Really had a fantastic time talking with you, catching up about our time growing up together and your cancer journey and everything in between. 
Um, I appreciate it so much. And thank you all for listening on this episode of St. Small Talk. St. Small Talk is brought to you by Minnesota Podcasting Studios, Minnesota's premier podcasting outfit for professional and entertainment podcasts alike. Our logo design is made by Galen Rick at Mighty Fine Design, a Twin Cities-based graphic design company. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for listening.